Good day to you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, episode 134, the review for Ghostbusters Afterlife. southeast and west and welcome to another episode of film focus i'm your host the hyperson 55 and i'm glad you decided to join me once again for some film related discussion and today we're going to be talking about that ghostbusters ghostbusters afterlife directed by jason reitman and i have been very curious about this film for a long time just because we've had this interesting road of trying to get a sequel to the previous two ghostbusters films but there has been so much up and down palaver behind the scenes just trying to make that materialize. And you had that weird 2016 reboot that kind of was in continuity, but it really wasn't because it threw out the idea of the original characters, but then still alluded to the original characters in the trailers. So it's just like, which one is it? But anyway, we're not going to be going into that. So my history with Ghostbusters is simple. The 1984 film... I liked as a kid but fell in love with as a teenager. I watched that film so much on VHS up until the time I went to uni because since it was on VHS and I didn't have a VHS player when I was at uni, um, plus it started eating my tapes, I just stopped watching it for a while. And then I rewatched it again a good number of years down the line and then rewatched it again this year. And while I don't love it as much as I used to, I still think it's a classic and it brings me much joy. Those characters, Peter, Ray, Winston and Egon, have stuck in my mind as some of the greatest like you know characters ever just because they have a really good connection they have good banter and just them as the Ghostbusters they're just really fun characters and that film is so quotable the second film I haven't seen in many years I remember it being obviously a lot less of an enjoyable experience in the first film but I still have nostalgic love for it especially with the whole thing where they end up taking control of the Statue of Liberty and she's walking through town with that cool music playing as for the 2016 film, I didn't bother with that just because Paul Feig, his humour just doesn't work for me. I find that he does a lot of similar things with the characters that he uses and the cast that he uses over the course of his films. And it's just like straight from the trailers, I'm like, nah, this ain't for me. So when it comes to actually having a proper sequel to the original set of Ghostbusters films, there is a whole load of palaver going on with that. Um, but to give you the short version... They were wanting to make a sequel for a while and you had hang-ups like, you know, not being able to find the right script, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd were still trying to get certain things to work out and then you had the whole thing with Bill Murray saying that he just didn't want to come back for it or say he only wanted to come back just to be killed. Eventually we did get a spiritual Ghostbusters 3 in the form of the Ghostbusters video game from 2008 or 9. Anyway, it was in the late 2000s and that felt like as close as you could get to a Ghostbusters sequel. But then this film finally materialized and while we no longer have the wonderful Howard Ramis with us anymore, the directing duties came to Jason Reitman and from the trailers it felt like, okay, we're finally getting a sequel that acknowledged the previous films but was going in its own sort of direction. And from that point onwards, I was just like, this film, please be good. Just be a good film. There are a bunch of films coming out right now trying to take that nostalgia 
and try to, you know, do something new with it. So I'm just like, please be good. And I'm happy to report that Ghostbusters Afterlife was a good time. It was nostalgic to the point of pandering, but when it worked, it was damn good. So we're going to talk about the film today as we do with the story, characters, presentation and the overall conclusion. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump in. Alright, so now it's time to describe the plot and it can be summed up as the following. Set 32 years after the events of the second film, a single mother and her two children move to a small town in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma where they discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and their grandfather's secret legacy. And that is a way for me to summarize this plot without going into the area of spoilers. So if I had to describe the plot in a simple way, this film would be what The Force Awakens is to the original Star Wars trilogy. Now I know that that will set some alarm bells off for some people, but believe me, that is a good thing, for the most part. Anyway, this story is about family, legacy, secrets, and discovery. I genuinely enjoyed the amount of mystery, intrigue, and all this setup that was going on in the first part of the film, and the way in which it progresses as certain information gets revealed. And they do some cool and interesting stuff with the plot that leads to some really nice surprises. The film also had this upbeat and whimsical charm that was felt throughout, and I really liked the humour which felt appropriate and well-timed. And this plot, it feels small in scale, but it also feels large due to the far-reaching consequences of the supernatural events that take place in the film. And this film also has a lot of heart. Several times I was watching this film and I felt like it just scratched that right itch or hit those key notes that make films a really enjoyable and an emotional experience. And a lot of that comes in the nostalgia. Some of the visual and audio references are just perfect. And the way in which they're updated in some ways is wonderful. However, there is also a certain amount of nostalgia slash fan service that this film does that feels excessive. At first, some of the callbacks felt cute, but after a while, it felt like it was becoming distracting. It felt like they were ticking boxes just to make sure that they had everything ticked off that everyone liked about the original films. I just wish there had been a little bit more restraint. But overall, I still had a really good time with this plot. Alright, and now it's time to talk about the cast, and I thought they all did a pretty good job. The nice thing about this film, as opposed to the original film, was even though I adore Ghostbusters 84, the issue was with those characters is that they weren't really that fleshed out. It was more due to their personalities and the banter that they had to help carry them through the film. This film allows their cast to have a little bit more depth, for them to interact a little bit more, to feel a little bit more human. And I enjoyed the different dynamics that we had within not only the Spengler family, but also seeing them interact with other people. These connections felt natural, felt like they progressed in a cool way. And I just had a good time with these people. So let's start with Carrie Coon as Callie Spangler. She's the daughter of Egon Spengler, and she is also the mother of the two children in the film. She is down on her luck. She has a certain level of resentment towards her father, which we will discover why in the film. And I enjoyed her character. She was just, you know, emotionally hurt, emotionally reserved, but she was also pretty fun and had good banter with not only her kids, but also with Paul Rudd, who I'll talk about later on. Then you have Finn Wolfhard as Trevor Spengler. And he's literally just like that older brother who's really into technology, that's into girls, 
and just doesn't really care to be in this small town where there's not really as many conveniences as you would have in, you know, a major city. But eventually, he finds his stride in this film, getting into some interesting adventures, but also having cool little uh, moments with his sister. And Wolfhard, he's pretty much a veteran of this style of film now, especially coming from Stranger Things. But he fit into this film really well, and I quite enjoyed him. He was pretty funny. And then you have McKenna Grace. Oh my gosh, this girl has gone so far since the first film I saw her in, which was... Independence Day Resurgence, oh god. But yeah, no, the first film I really noticed her in was Gifted. And then when she showed up in I, Tonya and Captain Marvel and Malignant as well, I was just like, good god, this girl is all over the place. But she is so talented. And I really enjoyed her in this film as Phoebe. She was this really smart individual who just doesn't like to, you know, open up to people in the sort of conventional ways. But once she finds her stride and you know starts to discover all this stuff about her grandfather and then makes her friend as well everything starts to get going and she was a wonderful lead for this film she was engaging she had a lot of heart to her and i was just like yeah she's great and then you have logan kim as podcast oh my gosh this kid is amazing he's a little weird unconventional but he is so humorous he's confident and his interactions with phoebe were great he just comes out with great one-liners at the perfect time. He has this dry sense of wit about him, even though he's really young. Um, but he's also very playful and energetic. And Kim and Grace just had really great chemistry. And they also had good scenes with Paul Rudd as well. And we also had to talk about Paul Rudd as Gary Gruberson. Paul Rudd is just fun. I love this man. He has a great energy to him. And to see that he was a Ghostbusters fan... And that he's not just there for comedic relief, but he also has certain other talents in this film in terms of being a slightly smarter character. It was cool. I just enjoyed his scenes in the film and he was just fun. There are also appearances from the original cast as well, which I won't go into. But suffice to say, they were utilized to great effect. And now we have to talk about the presentation. I thought it was pretty good. I am always a fan of seeing certain films get to come back in a certain way whether it's a long overdue sequel or if it's in a reboot and to be able to see certain things like the ecto-1 or the proton packs and the old school style of ghost but updated with modern cgi there was a lot of really cool stuff and i'm like the way in which we've progressed with visual effects from like 1984 to now is just stunning but the amount of practicality that was still implemented in this film, I really did appreciate. There was some really cool, wonderful visual throwbacks and some really cool, um, you know, modernizations of certain things. And the way in which they handle the Stay Plush Marshmallow Man, um, if you've seen the trailer, you've already seen that they're more like little gremlins than, you know, the big chunky version that we remember from 1984. But those guys were amazing oh my god <laughs> some of the best humor came from like those little stay puff marshmallow men they were great but i just like seeing the streams of energy from the proton packs uh there was some really good color some nice lighting during some of the more chaotic scenes and some of the action sequences especially towards the latter side of the film yeah visually i cannot have any complaints about this film it was done pretty darn well 
And then you had the music that was done by Rob Simonson. And honestly, I haven't really seen too many films with his music in there, save for a couple films like Gifted, Captive State, and The Way Back. And he also did the music for Dollhouse, the TV show. But I don't remember any of those films really having a film score that resonated with me. I do really like Gifted, and I had a really good time with The Way Back. I thought the music for those was fine, but again, nothing that really stood out. And I feel like his music for this film was decent, but I could easily tell what was his original material and what was drawn from the 1984 film, because there is a lot of music themes that are drawn straight from that original film. And while some of it, it was really nice to hear in that nice nostalgic way that feels like you're being cuddled by something you really like, other times it was just like, are they actually just gonna steal the whole music from the original film? which it really felt like on a few occasions. So it's just like, while it was nice to have the original Ghostbusters themes, I really wish that there was a stronger set of new themes in this film to balance out the original music. So to conclude, ladies and gentlemen, Ghostbusters After Time was a lot of fun. And while it leans heavily on nostalgia, it has its heart in the right place. I really enjoyed the cast, the humour was solid, and overall it was one of those sort of enjoyable experiences that you get in the cinema that leaves you satisfied after you leave. And that's what you want, especially during these times. I would highly recommend it for OG Ghostbusters fans, and I will say, your enjoyment of the film will definitely depend on how much nostalgia that you like in your films. Because if you don't like that much, this may be a negative for you, but I would still say the film is worth watching. And that is my review for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now I pass it on to you, ladies and gentlemen. Have you seen Ghostbusters Afterlife? And if so, what do you think of it? How do you think it compares to the original films? And how do you think it compares to just any of the other films you've seen this year in general? I would like to hear your thoughts, so please be sure to drop them in the comment section below or hit me up on Twitter where I'm at hypersonic 55 or at filmfocus 55 Check out the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify and all those other places where podcasts can be found. I will be back pretty soon with another review, maybe two. We shall see. The film season is starting to pick up again, and I will try to be there as quickly as I can. But until the next time, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Hypersonic 55 signing out. Peace.